We'd like to take a second before this episode to thank our sponsor for this episode, Iowa Sports Supply. Iowa Sports Supply is locally owned and operated and has been providing quality sporting goods, uniforms, and corporate apparel for high schools, colleges, corporations, and Iowa communities for over 60 years. With your next team or corporate need, please visit iowasports.com. The Shooter's Touch and Iowa Sports Supply would like to remind you to support local businesses and shop local this holiday season. This week on the podcast, we bring on Coach Marty Richter, who is an assistant men's basketball coach at Drake University currently. Originally from Iowa, he played his college ball at Simpson College, where he then moved into an assistant role after his playing days. And that is where Brian and myself originally came in contact with Marty at their very popular team camp that they offered every summer. He then moved around a little bit after that with maybe his most popular stop at Florida Gulf Coast, where he was an assistant coach at or with the very popular team that made the Sweet 16 run that year in the NCAA tournament. He then had a very interesting situation where he moved to a JUCO where he started a team from scratch. We have a great conversation about that. Very interesting stuff there. And then move back up here to his roots, closer to family, uh, under a great head coach, Coach Darren DeVries here at Drake. So Marty is a, a guy that is very full of energy. He brings it the entire podcast. This is a podcast that any coach, rookie, veteran, middle of their career can learn something from. I know I learned a ton. We hope you enjoy it as much as we did. Here is Coach Marty Richter. I got the shooter's touch. Can't nobody shoot like me. Fourth quarter down three, need a two and one. Better call on me, better call on me. If you know you need a shooter, I'm ice cold like a cooler. Get you right though, I can tutor. This that mic flow, I'm a hooper. I got blue faces on blue faces. I'm too. Welcome back, shooters. We have another great guest this week on the Shooters Touch podcast. We bring in assistant coach at Drake University, Coach Marty Richter. Welcome to the Shooters Touch, Coach. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, we're excited, Coach. Um, first and foremost, uh, how how is the family doing? Um, what is it? How many how many kids is it? Got three boys and a girl at home. How how's everyone holding up? <laughs> You know what? <laughs> They're holding up better than my wife and I. They got so much energy. They don't stop. This pandemic has not stopped them at all. They just, they, they wake up every morning ready to go and I'm ready to sleep in past seven o'clock and they won't let you. Well, Hey, that's, that's good. There's definitely, definitely some silver linings in the, in the fact that you get to spend a little bit more time at home and time together. But, uh, Having having four kids of my own, I know the struggles. I understand what you're saying. It is just complete chaos some days. It, it, you know what? It, it's just an adventure just to get through breakfast. Like to get them to get dressed and get them to breakfast on time. And then they still have to they have to get online by 830. So it's like, dude, you guys got to eat. You got to go a little bit faster. And it's a process. And my son, the best line ever, he's like, I haven't brushed my teeth yet for school. I said, nobody's going to smell your breath through the computer anyways, buddy. You'll be all right. We're, we're going to have to skip that one right now. You've got to get to school. Normally, you've got to brush your teeth when you go to school, but this is the one time I'll let you survive. 
it's uh it's the ultimate pick your battles when when you got these kids it's like you know what sometimes next time we'll get the next one (laughs) yeah (laughs) you're exactly right ryan so well good coach so hey we got we uh, interesting story actually um we had a listener and or fan uh reach out to us and say hey you know what you got to get marty on like great story um waterloo guy um i think burton was her name um i'll have to a look neighbor up. yeah a neighbor yeah. someone across the street from you um in waterloo is is who actually gave us the suggestion to reach out are to you them. kidding me no that it that was where um, <laughs> the, uh martha martha burton is who uh sent us oh message. my that's awesome <laughs> it, it, i mean it was awesome on a lot of levels we we were super appreciated um the input and obviously her listening and um and ultimately for connecting us because this is uh gonna be a lot of fun but uh yeah i thought that was pretty special when she reached out and said hey this is a guy whose story i've been following and uh, a great guy and obviously um we're gonna start with a little, your background come from waterloo right and so what was what was it like growing up what was the neighborhood like for you and in family situation uh, I'm one of five. So I was the middle child of five. I had older sister, older brother, younger brother, younger sister. And you got Adam, you might've, you guys might've met my younger brother. He played at Simpson. So he might've been at camp when you guys were around as a player. He was the, a bad official. So you guys might've had him. He, he wasn't very good as official. He showed up and he ran up down the court, but he didn't know how to call a foul or travel. Like he was one of those guys that every coach would yell at. Um, my neighborhood was awesome. Like when I grew up, it was, there was, there was another family called the Venerums that lived two blocks down from us. And we literally destroyed our neighborhood. We'd be outside playing all the time. You'd play until the street lights came on. And then some nights you play out longer because mom and dad be like, Hey, you guys can stay out there longer. So it was, if it was baseball season, we were playing baseball. If, if it was football, we we're playing tackle football in the, yard and we didn't have a yard it was one of those it was a mud pile by the time football season was halfway over and then basketball season was kind of cold but we did it during winter months we had we had a dunk hoop my dad was awesome he put a dunk hoop we had two hoops up on the garage a 10 footer and then we had one that was like seven and a half feet so everybody in the neighborhood come over and dunk and you'd play dunk ball and it was like wee hours of the night my mom and dad would yell at us tell you got to go home everybody's got to go home but it was my neighborhood was awesome. I, I loved it. It made me who I am now. I'll say that. I just like sports, and it made me very competitive. Isn't it amazing how you go back on, on those times and you think about, you know, now obviously everything's organized. Um, all these kids mm-hmm. have organized sports. They're, some, they're starting to specialize as early as sixth, seventh grade. It's just, it's just crazy. And to think about just the unstructured, the way to set up a team, the way to, you know, pick teams, the way to compete and, you know, overcome adversity was just something that uh, I almost would like to see a little bit more of. I, I totally agree with you. Like we would go down in the, we would go down to summit and play baseball and there would be six of us maybe, or eight of us that day. And you would pick teams and you may be the first pick, maybe the last pick. And you couldn't hit it to right field maybe that day, or you couldn't hit it to left field because you didn't have enough fielders and you had ghost runners. And you explain that to kids nowadays and they look at you like, it's a ghost runner. Yeah. And, and you would argue that you got the ghost runner out. You know what I mean? One of those deals, like when you were playing and it did make, it made your generation, my generation, just kind of like figure stuff out. And I, I wish kids had to do it more often instead of, Hey, they got to go to a camp or they got to go to their AU team or their, 
their club team and play their sports and mom and dads have to drive them all around town while they have everybody in their neighborhood they could play the same stuff in their neighborhood absolutely it's definitely uh, there are positives and negatives obviously with anything as we mm-hmm. look at it but um so what was high school like then uh, for you did you play how many sports did you play in high school and uh, uh, what were some of your teams like uh, I played three sports. I was football, basketball, and baseball. I went to Guadalupe, Columbus, um, and we had a really good freshman team. I was five, six, maybe 100 pounds. I was a little sport. I, I, I was tiny, man. So I played, and I loved all the sports, so I played them all. And I was a little point guard at Columbus as a freshman, we had a good team. And then as a sophomore played as a sophomore on the sophomore team, um, the sophomore team, the, the varsity, when I was a sophomore, my brother was a senior and that was a luxury of mine. I was in high school with my older brother. So he kind of showed me the way of, you know, the coaches kind of, it, it really helped me out. And my, my growth is as a young man is my coaches were terrific. One of my coaches now, he, two of them are actually. One is the head coach at Dallas Center Grimes. Joe Rankin was my um, junior year coach. As I played on JV, I didn't even play varsity. I played varsity, but didn't play. Like I was that guy. Like I loved it. I was still small. He was JV coach, and then Andre Meeks, who's over at at Dowling, who won a state title at Columbus in football, who's now football coach over at Dowling as a running back coach, was football coach and bass assistant basketball coach also. So I had those guys growing up and they were terrific. Like they just, you're able to get in the gym. You're able to get in the weight room. They, they just kind of helped you through the process and they were great for, they were great for my development as a young man, but they were also great for my development as a coach because I saw different perspectives. You know, I had my varsity coaches, Kevin Uvalodi. He doesn't coach anymore. He's just a, he's a chemistry teacher at Waterloo West, but he was terrific. But the assistant coaches, they would just be, and you guys probably remember that too, your assistant coaches just kind of ticked, they just helped you out. You know what I mean? Your mom and dad were working, they were around, but it's different like this. Coaches just kind of took you in and helped you out in different things and different scenarios. And I could not say enough nice things about those two guys. And one other one was John Holmes, who was, who's now an assistant over at Waterloo East, who's been in the Waterloo area forever. He was my sophomore assistant. And then was a varsity assistant also. And those guys helped me pave my way through high school. My senior year high school team, we were really good. We got beat in sub-state final by South Tama in, in the roundhouse. And we were second or third in state that year um, going into that. And we beat them twice during the regular season, just didn't beat them a third time. But we, I think we were 19-3 and three or 19-4 and four that year. We had a really good year that year, my senior year. So you mentioned, obviously, how big an impact the coaches had on you. Is there a time or when, when did the coaching bug start to start to hit you? When did you think, hey, you know what, maybe not yet, but this might be something I'm going to want to do? I thought early because I didn't think I could do anything else. <laughs> I'll lie to you guys. Like, I got into it. Like, I got the luxury, which was really neat in my, in my growth as a, as a young teenager, was I coached um, – we had like a rec center basketball and I don't even know if they have them nowadays. There was a rec Saturday mornings. I coached a little team when I was a, when I was a high school sophomore and a high school junior. And then I helped run the league as a senior, the guy that was running the league now still runs all the, the parks and recs stuff in Waterloo, but he kind of just, 
it, it was one of those deals at that age, I started doing it. And then I did baseball. I did little league during the same time as a sophomore, junior and senior. And I kept doing baseball during the summers when I would come back in college. So I, I, I got the bug early. And then when I got to college, I played for Bruce Wilson and he kind of, he, he was terrific. I mean, I could not, I cannot say enough nice things about him and seeing what he did. And he was getting paid to coach basketball. Like that was his job. And I'm like, I want to do that. I thought I was going to go into high school teaching and coach high school. And I got going and I'm like, I'm seeing what coach Wilson is doing. I'm like, I, I, I can coach college and do this and not have to be in a classroom from seven in the morning, seven 30 to three every day. I'm like, I'm going to do that. And that's kind of, I got into it. That's how I ended up getting into it. I kind of enjoyed coaching kind of my entire life. That's good. So you mentioned, so uh, after high school, went down to Indianola and um, played at Simpson for uh, Coach Wilson. Uh, how did that go? How did, how did your time uh, at Indianola go? It, it, was, it was a great experience. We had really good team. I was, on, I was a part of a four-year run at Simpson. We won, I think, 80 games in four years. Wow. And when I and I tell guys this at the division three level, you only get I think it was twenty-five regular season games is what you get. You don't get the thirty that you get at the division one. You get twenty-five regular season games. You don't get you get scrimmages, that's what you get. So you know, my freshman year we played in the NCAA tournament. We got beat by um Wisconsin Oshkosh. If I'm saying that right. They beat us by I think two that year, but we had an outstanding team. I played with I had the luxury of playing with a point guard that I think he's still the all-time assist leader who was a senior when I, when I was a sophomore, he was two years older than me. His son plays at Dallas center Grimes. Now is Chris Perrin, who was a terrific player. He was really good. And then um, I had the luxury, the two posts I played with one was an all American Adam Dahl. And I don't know if you guys remember him from camp, big redhead walked around, didn't do anything, but just an awesome dude. Like at camp, didn't do anything. It was just terrific person. But like he was unbelievable. He was a walking double double. Like he went out as a senior. I mean, I think he averaged as a junior. I think he averaged twenty two and fifteen. Like he was just terrific. So I had the luxury of playing with really good players. I was just a really good role player. That I, I knew my role. I think I averaged just about ten points a game as a junior and senior. We won um, twenty two games as a junior. We went twenty two and three. And the travesty in that year, the Iowa Conference did not have an automatic bid. One year in my entire career, we didn't have an automatic bid, and we didn't get in the NCAA tournament. And that was as good as a team I think I've been a part of as a team. Like, we, we won our last 10 regular season games. Coach Wilson was terrific. We played fast. We threw the ball in the post. Um, it, it was a really good team. So my experience was, Brian, I, I loved it. I mean, my friendships are still out there with the guys I played with, and they're, they're good dudes that I played with. Well, keeping it in Indianola, you mentioned that, you know, after <clears throat> playing days were done, you kind of stayed on, on, um, on campus there and, and, and helped out with coach Wilson. And we obviously talked, talked before we came on, but, uh, our first, uh, you know, our first glimpse of Marty Richter was at Simpson team camp. And, uh, you know, for our listeners, a week long camp with how, how many teams do you guys have there a week? Uh, you know what? I think it was like 64 because I think we, was it 64 or 48? One of the two. I can't remember if it was four divisions of 16 or three divisions of 16, but it was like the, the best part about it, Adam, and you guys know this, 
is it was the best teams in the state of Iowa. They all came. Like that was the team camp to go to. And it was it was unbelievable. Everybody across the state would come to it. And you guys played, I mean, you were a division one player, Adam. You were a terrific player. You played against other division one players in that camp all week long. And you yeah. got you got shown your weaknesses and your strengths, which was good. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's one of the main draws to that camp is that <clears throat> outside of AAU, I mean, you know, my my school is a two A school. And we're getting put against Waterloo East, against, you know, 3A schools that, that we wouldn't get a chance to compete against usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was a it was a great time uh, in Iowa, obviously, in August, in a gym that did not have air conditioning. So that was, that was <laughs> and then you go to the dorms, which didn't have air conditioning either. So it was a yeah. it was a unique experience, but something that I always look forward to for sure, um, you know, that time spending a week with your teammates and, you know, bonding <clears throat> how you wouldn't usually get to with a, with, I mean, a typical team camp that you just travel to and travel back home. But um, I guess let's talk about your coaching career there. Um, you know, there are a couple of years, obviously, how did that go? What, uh, what was it like going from player to coach? The, the toughest aspect there in, and I, I'm telling our two of our GAs right now, one's now Adobo, but it's going from being a player, being a teammate with the guys that you dressed every day with in that locker room. And now he got to say, hey, dude, you got to be on time. You got to help me out. Now you're their coach, even though you're maybe six months older than the guy. And that is, that's really the tough. That was really tough. And I had a unique because my little brother ended up coming to play for me. Not for me, for Coach Wilson, I should say. But he came and played and I'm there and I'm coaching him and I'm like, Oh man, this is interesting. I'm yelling at him like <laughs> he didn't know what to expect because it's like your brother and I was harder on him than the other guys, which made it easier for the other guys to say, you know what, he's not playing any favoritisms to his brother compared to us. But still, it's difficult because of the transition of going from their teammate to now their coach in your six months, two years. Now, if they were a freshman when you were a senior, it's a little bit different because you still had that they they looked at you different but when they were the guys that were i mean we we had um joe coppola who was i mean he's six months younger than me and he was my wing we played wings together and now i'm trying to coach him and he they were all respectful to me and it was great because you're like hey this is what i see i don't know if you want to do it or not this is what i see and that's how i try to go about it my first my first couple of years, which was really good for me. And Coach Wilson was great. And you guys know Coach. I mean, he was great. He, he um, took advice. He, he taught me how to scout. He taught me how to recruit. He taught me how to handle a recruit when they come on campus. Like our, the first kid I brought on campus for an unofficial visit was end up being, I think, Simpson's all-time leading steals guy, Dirk Walker. And – Awesome point guard, terrific athleticism, fast from um, Phoenix, but his parents were from Iowa and there was no division threes in Iowa and he was not getting a division two scholarship. They're like, well, you might as well go to somewhere in Iowa. We, we come back and he was the first kid I took around campus. And it was, I remember like yesterday, but that's coach Wilson gave me my foundation as a coach at the beginning to teach me the right way. 
It's funny you mentioned that uh, the transition from GA because we had Nick Norton on, and that was one of the things that he said oh, with, yeah, his, yeah. with his GA position was like, it's hard because I'm like at the guy's house playing games, and then I got to go and like <laughs> break down film or whatever it is. So he, he said that that was the toughest part too, is going from being a buddy to being a coach. It, it, it really is. Like, and Norty and Brady, and now we got Anthony Murphy. And Anthony's probably in the most difficult spot of the three because his brother's still on the team. And and Shanquan Hemfield, who he's grown up with since he's been second grade on the team. So you're trying to help them, but you're also like, hey, you, hey, let's go get something to eat together. You know what I mean? You're still boys with them. That's what it is. And Norty, that's right. Norty, you, you, you try to explain it to them, and it's tough. It is tough. You got, yeah, and, until you're there. Mm-hmm. You know, so. But, so now this all kind of coming to light. So you're the source of all these Arizona kids start showing up at Simpson about. Uh, I wasn't the source. Coach Wilson <laughs> was the source. I just got lucky to be able to show the first one around. We had, I had, um, there was so many, we had three guys when I was playing, we had three guys that played. Landon Bridges was a freshman when I was a senior, was a really good player. Um, we had um, Dave. What's Dave's last name? I can't remember. It's been 26 years now. Yeah. He was a he was a he was a freshman when I was a junior, lefty, power forward, that was really good. And we had Jacob uh, Ridner, who um, was from also from Arizona. And it, it, it ended up being, it was just a really good place for coach to go get players because there wasn't Division threes, and you either had to go to California to play Division three, or you come to Iowa, and it, and it was up to the kids and. We ended up getting some good players, and it was a really good area for us to, at Simpson to get it. And I know Coach kept it going, and then Charles Charles Zanders, when he took over, he got some. And I don't know um, if Brad's got any down there right now or not. I don't know that off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I never knew what the connection was. Obviously, uh, was it Jason? I forget what Jason's last name was. There, You had, had a couple when I was at Warburg that uh, – um, yes would have would have also been there and i never never made the connection i never understood like how are these kids coming up from arizona but it does make sense when you when you think about where the d3 programs are located mm -hmm. and you know between iowa wisconsin i mean there's you know there's definitely a pocket as far as if you're playing at the division three level where you're going to go to compete and there's only so many division there's only and people don't understand this there's only so many division three players in the state of iowa right. but there at that time i was playing we were I don't know if it was eight or 10 teams there. There's so many schools all recruiting the same kids. So you're not going to always get every kid that you want. And so you have to go somewhere else and you can't get into Minnesota and Wisconsin because they're going there or Illinois, they're going to their division. Why would they come to I no offense to us in Iowa, but why would you go to another division three and have to pay out out of state tuition when you can go to end state tuition in those situations? Yeah, it all makes sense. You know, a lot of stuff to uh, to obviously unpackage there too. You know, as a as a as a kid. Um, yeah, obviously we talked about Simpson a little bit, but then after that, made the move to South Dakota. How did yeah. uh, how that come about? How was that transition? Um, and how did you enjoy your time up north? Uh, it came about. You guys, you guys had him on the other day. You had B Mart on. Yeah, <laughs> I wondered if there. Yeah, B Mart, yep. B Mart. <laughs> now the guy that got us up there is it, it, so funny. Is Doug Scholl. Doug is. Uh, I don't know if you guys ever met Doug. Doug is um, worked for Casey's. He was a CFO for Casey's for a long time. But he's a he was a booster up at um, South Dakota. 
him and Coach Boots are really close, but he lives in Indianola, so he comes to all the Simpson games. So when we were seniors, B-Mart and I were seniors together, B-Mart, Doug helped B-Mart get on a GA spot up there. B-Mart was finishing his GA spot up, and I got lucky enough to replace him. And Doug, Doug it, I, I owe everything to Doug for giving, getting that opportunity for B-Mart first, and it, it trickled down to me, which was really good. Um, that's how I ended up there. It was awesome. That was a great experience. Um, Coach Boots is terrific. I don't know if – Adam, I don't know if he recruited you at all. Um, or not. No, I talked, he I talked to him a couple times. Not, I wouldn't say he necessarily recruited me, but I did talk yeah, to him. But, yeah, no. you were you were big time. I forgot. Nah, I don't know. <laughs> maybe, maybe they just couldn't get through to Ackley, Iowa at that point. <laughs> <laughs> but he was a really good ball coach. He taught me – the one thing that he was, he was super competitive. And right now, if you look at the summit, that's what the North Central was. It was all the teams that are in the summit right now were in the North Central. And they were – really good basketball it was terrific basketball we had good teams um we had we i ended up being able to coach as a freshman turner truffles he ended up becoming the division two national player of the year we had josh mueller who was an all-american we had tommy king that was an all-american we had Derek pabin that was um a really good shooter that ended up being an all-region guy we had really good teams up there and coach boots um did a terrific job like he figured out how to South Dakota is not a big school. It's 8,000 students and the Vermilion's 10,000 people. So it's 20,000 total people there. And 10 of them are kids from 22 and under. He figured out how to get kids there that fit him, that fit playing in the D Dakota dome and making it work. And we, we stress shooting because we were going to play a matchup zone and we passed the ball really well to each other. And, he he was terrific. I mean, he got his teams – I mean, he won 600 games in his career. I just always remember how feisty he was as a head coach. And that's the one part I kind of stole from him. His He was so – he was ultra competitive. And you wouldn't know that. You talked to him, you wouldn't know that. And then on game day, he was just a different dude. And he would call guys out. The players loved him because he could manage – he allowed you to have a lot of rope as a player and you just knew your, where you stood all the time with them. And I liked that. And I, and it was it, it, no different than coach Wilson, but it was just a different voice. I got to hear from for a couple of years and learn from and start to develop my philosophy and what I wanted to do one day, if I ever got a head job and he was, he was a key ingredient to my success when I became a head coach. Yeah, it's obviously hard to find that sweet spot with all those things that you mentioned, um, you know, being able to, you know, yell or get in guys grills and, and you'll know, still have them have them respect you and, and you know, do what you say, you know, I, I don't feel like that these days isn't necessarily done a lot anymore. Um, mm -hmm. you know, maybe because of the media, maybe because of social media, whatever that is, but you know, it, it's hard to find that sweet spot. Another thing that's hard to do, um, you mentioned it, that, you know, he found those guys that were a good fit for the school for mm -hmm. the and for what you guys were looking for in kids. You know, that's not the easiest thing to do either. No, it's not. And, and you guys at you and I, you guys did a terrific and they still do. Like they find the – they don't go outside of what's going to fit 
the program and the school, because when you do that, you're not successful because it's going to, you're going to end up bumping heads somehow, some way down the road. And that's the one thing coach Boots was terrific at. He, he found exactly what fit the coyotes and then what fit coach Boots. And that he made sure not to steer away from that, you know, as a GA, you, you help recruit a lot there because you only had one full-time assistant. So you did a lot as a GA. There was me and another GA, Ben Reese, that were on staff. And we did a lot. We helped with recruiting. We did all the, all the stuff. And we may say, we like this guy, Coach. And he was talented, but Coach, like, he's not going to fit South Dakota. He's not going to fit me. And that's the thing that was really important and you as a young assistant, you don't realize that. And then later in life, now that I'm older, I'm like, yeah, that made so much more sense back then. I'm like, coach was so, so smart. We were so, you know, as a young 25, 26 year old, you're like, man, coach is nuts. Wait, I mean, I'll be taking him all day. And then you realize, no, he was right. Less gray hairs. You can, you can go to bed at night. You can be happy. You can see your family. You can still win a lot of games doing it the right way and he did it the right way and it was really good to see that's awesome yeah always good to take things from from coaches who win 600 games you know so that's yeah it is yeah it is um i I wish i could golf like him he was a terrific (laughs) golfer he hit the ball straight every time anyway guys when i say hit it straight he hit it straight every time went hit it far but hit it straight and you never be in trouble well, I don't never even, I've never even seen him golf, but I think I want to golf like him too. That sounds yeah, I do too. I, I do. <laughs> um, hey, I might be uh, out of uh, out of I guess like a timeline here, but I read somewhere as well that you maybe spent a year as a uh, collegiate scout for ESPN or something like that. I did. I um, did. I uh, that was that was the best time, but the worst time, guys. <laughs> Explain so that we, because re- re- reading that job title, I feel like I might need that job. That sounds great to me. Oh, it was an awesome job. Like, and I got lucky to get the job. I won't lie. They didn't, the guy I worked for is Paul Biancardi and you guys, the ESPN, he does all this stuff, him. And so I was out of a job. We got let go at, um, at, um, where was I at? Shoot. Where was I at? So I was at Bowling Green. That's how I got, I got to know Paul because he was at Wright State. We scrimmage and we played each other. So I was out of a job. I then went overseas and coached. And they, that, that was what it was. Like, I, 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 it was awesome. But they didn't pay me every month. So, and I just got married. Yeah, I didn't get I mean, paid. Like, I was supposed to get paid, and I didn't get paid. Consistency, so, man. I got to know when yes. I, if I'm going to get a check. Even if it's small, I got to know it's coming. <laughs> I know it's got to get, and I had bills. So it was one of those deals where, so I came back from overseas and I was in between gigs and I was out at an event. I was in Cincinnati. My wife is from Sandusky, Ohio. So I went down to Cincinnati to hang out at the Adidas three-star event, AAU event. And I ran into Paul and that's how I ended up getting the gig. And he's like, Hey, what are you doing now? I'm like, I'm trying to find a coaching job. And I would, and I was, applying for jobs all over the country at division one level. And I, I've been a division one assistant for coach Dockage for four years. I think it was prior to going overseas. And I was getting, I was getting a lot of no letters and I kept some of the letters because it was like motivation for me. That's how sick I am as a person. <laughs> I, I still got them. Like my wife's like, what is wrong? With you? Like I kept them. 
because it was it was good motivation for me. It's like, hey, you're gonna get told no a lot, and I did. I got told no all the time. And a guy that I I I really respect told me no, and he had a job opening, and it was um, John Gross at Ohio U. And I still have that letter from Coach Gross, and Coach Gross ended up recruiting one of my players from from Florida Southwestern, and I ended up saying, hey. John's a really good guy. You should go play for him. He's a really good guy. And he ended up going to play for him. But look, that was kind of my motivation. But I ended up getting this ESPN gig. And it, hey, it was great. I did it for two years. I did it when I, my wife got a job in Colorado. We moved out there. And I did a lot of West Coast things that year. So I went out to California a bunch. And got to know all the Adidas teams on the West Coast, all the Nike teams on the West Coast. And there was there's some guys I got to know that, would never return my phone call if I was um, Marty Richter assistant at Bowling Green. They just wouldn't return it. But me being Marty Richter with the four letters ESPN behind my name or in front of my name, they call you right back. And that was the best part of it. And I got to see really good ball and got to meet a lot, of, a lot of really neat guys during that process. So I lived out in Colorado. Then my wife got a job at Florida state doing their academics and we moved down there. And that's, that kind of tied me into getting my next job on the assistant trail. I was at Florida state, knew coach ham already. I came to practice when I was not doing ESPN stuff, when I was not doing recruiting stuff. Um, and I'd go to practice every day and that's how I developed a relationship with coach Enfield. And that kind of led me into my next stop going down the Florida Gulf coast. Well, awesome. Yeah. So it sounds like uh, a, a, a real connector of a job. Um, yes, at, it, it at, is. Which in the coaching game, I mean, you know, we've talked to quite a few coaches and it's about all of them get new jobs or get other jobs because of the connections that they have. Um, and so, you know, as a, as a coach or somebody that wants to coach, you know, that does sound like kind of the perfect gig if you're, if you're looking for something and the end without a coaching job. You know what? And it was like right now. So the guys I worked with at ESPN, Paul Biancardi is still there. Um, Reggie Rankin is now a scout. Reggie was a former division. They were all college assistants. Most of them were. So Reggie is now an NBA scout for the Golden State Warriors. Dave Tellup is now with the the Spurs as a scout. Um, Joe Francisco still doing it. He still does his stuff on the West Coast. Um, Mike LaPlante was a former head coach at the division one level, he just got out of, he, he got his law degree. He got smarter than everybody else in the country. <laughs> he got his law degree and he just, now he's getting paid more an hour than yeah. what we were going to get paid. So he got smart. And then I'm trying to think, Oh, John Stovall and John still does this stuff with ESPN. But those guys, like I was the young guy, like they gave me, I had a, like, if you go on ESPN and you do the strengths and weaknesses of players, you Google that. And that's, I, I watch film of guys and I would be, you know, send it in to the, the guy that Brendan Nolan, who was still doing it now, and he would then post it on that. Or if I went to an event, you would write up your event and then you would send it in to Brendan Nolan, who still works for ESPN. And it was just really good. It was really good because it was a connector. I connected with not just high school and AAU coaches, but college coaches would call you about players. And it was just a great way to kind of stay around the game. But it probably made it. Uh, it probably made you really want to get back into the into the coaching. Though that's one of the things where if you're around the game a lot, 
you're like, yeah. okay, like I enjoy this. This is fun, but man, do I have the itch or was that, or, or how'd that come about? Were you like, okay, this was great. Uh, it was fun at connecting with everybody, but it's time to get back on the sideline. It, that's what it, I was using it as a pit stop to try to get back on the sideline because I wanted to coach. I, I, I miss coaching like the, those two years. I did some workouts with guys on the side. It's just not the same. I enjoyed having a, being around a team and being a part of a team. And that's kind of all I know. I mean, it goes all the way back from the beginning of our conversations from starting in sixth grade, I was on football team, then basketball team, then baseball team for until until that year that was like the first year I didn't have a team and you go 20 some years and that's all you know and you're always on a team it it was tough and I realized that's what I like I like being a part of a team that's awesome yeah and I know that uh <clears throat> you know with with the uh you know as as part of a team that's that's a perfect um you know, that's perfect scenario for a coach, obviously, in the game of basketball. Um, you know, so let's maybe jump back into that. And, you know, you mentioned you, you mentioned your Bowling Green stint um, with uh, head coach Dan Dockich. A lot of our listeners, maybe a lot of people around just know him as a as a basketball announcer, um, in my opinion, one of the best. Um, yeah, so talk a little bit about that. You know, what uh, what was he like as a coach? Uh, what did you learn from him and how was your time in Bowling Green? He is as smart of a basketball guy I've ever been around. And I've worked for nine different guys, I think it was, in my career I've worked for now. And he is so smart. Like, people just know him as a TV guy now, if that makes any sense. They don't know him. Like, he, he, he took my, my development from going from Coach Wilson to Coach Boots. He was my next guy I worked for. He took my development and really – sped it up and got me going, thinking different ways and doing different things and going through it different ways that you, I would never have thought of at the age. I mean, I, I got with him when I think I was 26 or 27 and it really, it really matured me as a coach and it, and it allowed me to become, when I did get the opportunity to become my own boss, it, it, it allowed me to be a, a very successful coach. He, he was terrific in practice. And he was terrific. Like he could watch film one time and know Adam, all your strengths and weaknesses. He he would just like, all right, this, if it was my scout and we were scouting you and I, and I would say, I oh, mean, I've watched these 10 films coach. This is what he does. And he'd be like, no, he does this. And then you go back and watch him. Like, yeah, you're right. Coach. Like he, he was really good on film and he taught me how to watch film at another level than what coach boots and coach Wilson did. And it was a really great experience. Like he, I came in as a video slash Dobo guy left staff and he moved me up right away. And I was able to be an assistant for him and work on the court. And he taught me how to work guys out. He taught me how to get guys better. He taught me the one thing that was, he was terrific at is the night before a game or the day before a game or two games before the game. If he needed that, the guy that was like the sixth or seventh man, he knew he was going to have to play well that night just because of how the game was going to go. He thought he'd bring that guy in by himself and work him out. And that guy would always go and get 15 to 20. Like he would, he would have his career nights because he would, he just instilled so much confidence in guys in that way. And it was, it was a great learning experience for me. 
Yeah, you mentioned obviously a lot of our fans and listeners know him more as the personality that they see on TV. Yeah. But but to even to do what he does now and to travel, you know, as much as they do and go from game to game and to talk intelligently on the broadcast to know so much. Like I I totally see where you're coming from is he can watch tape probably one time and have at least a dozen things that he can take on every player, which which makes him good at what he does now too. Yeah, it, it does. It, it, he he could watch film, know the score of the game, even though, like, when I was watching film, when it was VHS, guys. It was not – it wasn't even DVD. <laughs> cut, yeah, actually cutting tape, right? Actually cutting tape. We were actually cutting tape. <laughs> and it was – you wouldn't have the score on it. It wasn't the, the high-tech stuff. So, the Mac, we weren't always on TV. You, you might get a TV game here and there, but your games were just – the old VHS tapes, you had to kind of keep track of the score. He would know the score. Like, he could be watching the film, knowing what's going on, and know the score of the game, know the time. I'm like, how the heck – sorry, how the heck do you know that? Like, but that's how his mind worked. And he, he, he taught me how to do that, which was really good. And that's why he's really good at his job. He's terrific. I mean, everybody looks at him like he just says crazy things. Well, he, he does a little bit, but that's part of – the dynamics of what they probably want him to do, but he is calculated. I mean, he's smart. He's yep. really smart. He's really, he's really good with the players on the court. Like they would know what, what was expected of them. You talked about the old cutting tapes with coach Stromer uh, on here. And he was talking about his time at Drake and how he, how he knew uh, uh, the postal service real well, going, going down there every day to drop the tapes in the mail. And it, none of this huddle, none of this sharing, oh. film, none of this just quick, easy. Cutting none stuff. of that. It was actual work there. It was actually the, the, the most unique thing is, is you had to, the, the old VHA, you would get them in the mail. And if the guy didn't package them right and it broke, you would have to figure out how to fix that VHS tape to make sure we could watch that film. And that was your job. And be able to get it in there without messing up the machine because if some tape yes. gets out, and it gets, yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the, the other part is like you would figure out, you wouldn't just drop them off at the post office. Like you find, uh, like my days, like I would take them to the, like you had to get across the country to another person. You may drive it up to the airport and drop it off. Hey, stewardess, can you take this to wherever you guys are going to from Detroit to um, Atlanta? There's going to be a guy in Atlanta that's going to be there, and they're going to pick it up if you can oh, just drop it off. VHS yeah, for VHS. And that's how it was back in the – and it was – it's different than now. I wish it was like that. I wish today was back then so my job would be easier. <laughs> there you go. So, well, good coach. So as we continue to transition through a little bit of your coaching career, one of the things, um, and as we get into your stop here at Florida Gulf Coast, um, a lot of people and listeners will know uh, what we're going to get into with that. But you have um, been heavily involved in recruiting and also been heavily revolved, uh, involved in a lot of talent. I mean, you, a lot of places you get, and you guys have brought in some, some good, uh, some players, some talented players, as you mentioned with South Dakota has to be the right fit too. But, uh, what was, uh, what was your time like at Florida Gulf Coast? And obviously we all know that was it the dunk city team or what, what, what was the, what was the nickname that you guys got pegged for that, that 2013 run? It was dunk city. It, it, that was awesome. I won't lie to you guys. If I could experience that every year, <laughs> just for a week, every year I'd be like in heaven. Because you just as a, as a coach, as a fan, it was an, a great experience. Florida Gulf Coast, it, it was unique because it was only the second year of being Division One tournament eligible. 
So in our first year, we went 15 and 17 with Coach Enfield. We lost our last five regular season games going into the A-Sun tournament. And at that time in the A-Sun, you had Mercer, you had ETSU, and you had Belmont were the three main teams that were really good. Well, in the first round, we knocked off USC Upstate, who was a – we were the – we were the seventh seed. Upstate was a two and Mercer was a three. I think it was that year. We knocked off Upstate. Then we beat Mercer on their home court. And then we played Belmont. And Belmont had Drew Hanlon, who everybody knows now is the workout guy. But he shot 50% from the three as a senior. They had um, Ian Clark, who played with the, the Golden State Warriors on one of their championship teams. That's had been in the NBA for six, seven years. And then they had um, Kareem. I can't think of Kareem's last name. Um, his brother is the, the running back Johnson um, for the Detroit Lions right now. He's the one of the two or three running backs they play. But they had a one-two-three that was terrific. They beat us twenty-eight. They were up twenty-eight-four during the regular season game at the first media timeout. So we're playing in the finals. We're like, geez, just don't get embarrassed on ESPN too. Just don't get embarrassed. We come out. We're leading all first half. Second half, we're leading too. They end up going on a run and beating us. But that was kind of our development. That allowed us to go on a run our second year. We went in our next year. We played um, five bye games. Um, we played VCU at VCU, and VCU just came off the Sweet 16 run or the, the Final Four run with Shaka Smart the year before. Um, they beat us by 20. Opening night, great, great game for us, guys. Awesome yeah, game. Got to take a few yeah. on the chin every once in yeah, a while. Yeah, we took it that year. Like, everybody remembers the run, but we took our we, – we got popped. That first week we played them, they popped us. Then we're coming home. We're playing on a Tuesday night. We're playing Miami at home. I don't know how we got Miami at home, but that Miami team ended up winning the ACC regular season and the ACC tournament. So they had Shane Larkin. I would they say had Larkin. A really good team. Yep, yep. I remember yeah, that. Yep. They had Kenny Kaji. They had a really good team. And we beat them that night. So we're like, we got a pretty good team. And then we have an NAI because we put an NAI in there just so we can try to get a win. We thought we were going to go 0 and 2 and then go to on Sunday night, go to Duke and play in Cameron. That was our first week schedule. So we go to Duke and we're two and one. We're like pumping our chest. We're feeling good. We're up 29. And this is going to be for all your listeners that are basketball fans. Everybody saw the run of Cleveland State, Ohio U this week, right? Did you guys see that? Yep. 40 0 run, right? Yep. If you go back and you look at the play by play of the Duke Florida Gulf Coast game, we're up 29 28. Well, Duke went on a 30-0 run, guys. <laughs> Over the next eight minutes of the game, the last, like, five minutes of the first half and, like, the first three or four minutes of the second half, it was so impressive as a coach. Like, I sat down, I'm like, oh, my gosh. They just went on a 30-0 run on us. It, we ended up getting beat by 25, I think it was. And that was, they were really good. And then we ended up playing Iowa State that year. We played St. John's that year, and we got beat by those guys. But we played those guys a lot closer. But that set us up for our run because our guys weren't intimidated by anybody. And we played Georgetown that first night, and we beat them. And it was close for part of it, and then we went on a 19-0 run. And that was the unique thing about that group. We had a really talented team, but we could just go on a run so fast. And we would go on a run, and we would make a bunch of threes. We could make some threes. 
we had two guys that could really shoot. We had, we had a group of guys that could all shoot it, but that wasn't who we were. We were a team that were going to get in the paint and score. Um, but we went on a 19-0 run, and that place I, it was so loud. It was rooting for us. And everybody, I mean, in Philly, everybody was rooting against Georgetown. And it was awesome to hear. And we were the, we got that win. And then the next night, we played, two nights later, we played San Diego State. And the neat thing was when we beat San Diego State, Duke was in the same um, – they were right after us, the time slot right after us. So they were there. And those guys were, you know, we were going back to the locker room. They were great to us. Um, Coach K came in and said something to our team, which was really neat. And that that right there, like, I remember that. that that's what uh, – you, you you remember stuff like that. You remember, yeah, you won. But that was the neat thing about it. He, he said something to the guys when we won. Like, it was cool. Like, our guys were like, oh, that's really neat. And that's – was neat. And then we went to Dallas and played Florida and – we played in front of 41,000 fans in Dallas Cowboys stadium. And you guys, it, this is what listeners don't believe. And you would not think there was 41,000 fans in there. You couldn't hear them just to how the, the, the stadium was set up. The court was like on a stage mm-hmm. and the acoustics in there were just, it was weird. It, like the, it didn't carry like it was 40,000 people in there. Little and bit there 40,000 people there. A little different yeah. than being in Cameron, huh? Oh, Cameron's awesome, guys. <laughs> have you guys ever been to Cameron? I have not, no. no. Oh, if you guys ever have an opportunity to go to a game there, go to a game there. It is an un, – that's an unbelievable – that environment, VCU's environment, if you get to go to a game at VCU, their environment's terrific. That year, those two places were terrific to play. Like, their environment was – their crowd was into it. They're – and they weren't obnoxious. They weren't yelling. They weren't throwing. They, they were yelling at you, don't get me wrong. But they weren't yelling profanity at you. They weren't throwing stuff. They were great. They were chanting. They, were, they knew everything about our players. And that, that, that was neat. That part is neat. Like, as a, as a coach, you're like, they've done their work. Give them A on tonight. They did their work. That's great. So, then, so, so remind us, so then how did – so Florida is right, is who you guys played in Dallas, or remind me how that year yeah. finished out. Yeah, so we played Florida that year. I'm sorry, I jumped back. So we were, we were winning or we – were, we were kicking their butt, actually. It was 21-7 with seven minutes to go in the first half. We were up on them. They pressed uh, – they were trying to get a rhythm. They pressed us early. We got a couple dunks. We made some shots. Um, Comer was terrific. Brett Comer was terrific to start the game. And then they pressured us a little bit harder. We turned it over a little bit. They made some shots. And at halftime, I think it was a two-point game. They end up – we got it to a 52-45 game with like five minutes to go in the second half. We just couldn't score on them. They grinded us out. We just could not get in the open court. Like against Georgetown, San Diego State, Miami – we could get out in the open court. Even Iowa State and St. John's, because we played them close. We had leads at halftime against those two high major pros. We could get out in the transition. Florida just slowed it down and kept us in the half court, and we we struggled to score against their their physicality and their size that night. That's right. But the yeah, best I- part about it is like our 
go ahead. Go ahead, Brian. No, I was just going to say, now it's all coming back to me. I was like sitting here thinking through these games. I remember because, yeah, like you said, that team obviously ran hot when, when things you would get. And it all started on the defensive end. It felt like, you know, obviously not yeah. really watching them through the year until March. But you get a few stops. You got a block or a steal. And then it was a quick run out, an easy two, an easy dunk. It was a three. It was – I mean, like you said, yeah, you guys ran ran hot. And when, it, when things were going, it was a lot of fun to watch. We had so much team speed. Like, that's the thing that I think is unique. Like, when you go to levels, you go to high major, their speed and athleticism, but their speed is just different than a team at the mid-major level. The mid-major speed – and people don't think of using speed. They always think of speed, well, I'm dribbling the ball real quick. No, it's how fast can you change ends. And our team was really fast at changing ends. We had a lot of team speed. And our our – point guard was I mean he's a top 25 assist guy of all time in NCA division one ranks he was such a willing passer he would throw the ball ahead all the time and we could just beat guys down the floor if it was a make or miss and that was such an advantage for us that year now there were some games we lost I think we went 26 and 11 that year and finished 22nd in the national poll at the end of the year but the best part about it is you go to the bookstore, there was no shirts. Like, I was going to the bookstore before I went to the Sweet 16 games because my family were all coming to the Sweet 16 game. They didn't make it out to Philly, but, like, all my relatives, my brother's sisters, a couple of my buddies were coming. And I was supposed to get them shirts. I went to the bookstore. There was no shirt. I mean, literally no shirts. Everything was bought out. Everything was sold out. So that part of it, what, what basketball can do for an institution – People don't realize it. Like, it changed Florida Gulf Coast. Like, our, our applications went up by 50 – I don't even know what the percentage was. 300%, like, the, 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 the clicks on what you see. You know what I mean? Everybody's Googling it. You could see. Just went up. Everything kept going up, and it changed that institution. It, it, it's allowed that institution to keep growing and growing and growing. I was definitely one of those people that was Googling it. And after looking at a few images of that campus, I, maybe, oh, I need to, maybe I need to retract your recruiting ability because I think that campus recruits itself. Oh. <laughs> if you could get the, the toughest part about Florida, toughest part about Florida golf, Fort Myers, I would say. How do you get kids to go so, to class? That, <laughs> and to, once you get them down there, you're so, like we were five hours, five and a half hours to the border of Georgia. So it's like you, you are down there. So once you get down there, you're down there. And that's, that's the tough part. But we did a good job. Like our team was kind of a mixture of kids from all over the country. And that's what made it unique because kids wanted – I mean, it is – I mean, one, to get them to go to class and two, to get them in the gym because it's like you're on vacation 24-7. You're at a resort. That's what yeah, it feels right. like. And it's a great – hey, it's an easy – easy sell it made my career really easy there like I mean my four years I spent there because I ended up working for Joe Dooley who came down next and it was just an easy like you could just get bounce back we got bounce back recruits we got our all of our big guys for five or six straight years were kids not high school kids they were all we had Iowa State we had Georgia Tech we had um, UNLV we had Tulane we had VCU. We had VCU. There were kids from higher levels that wanted to come back and play, but it was a bounce-back place. It was like – it was perfect. Kids wanted to come. 
and yeah. we took advantage of it. That, and you have to. I mean, you absolutely have to. That's uh, great. Yeah, like I said, some of those dorms literally on the beach. So that uh, uh, on the beach. Get, yeah, getting getting these kids to motivated to go to class and coming for workouts had to have been a challenge. But uh, hey, so then after that, you finally uh, um, have an opportunity to then take a take charge of your own program um, as as you head uh, to FSW to to take the head job. How did how did that come about? And a question we always got to ask is. Were you ready for for a head program? Uh, yes and no. Like you think you're ready. The one thing it's like, and I and I compare it to being, it's like being a parent when you're a head coach. You're on twenty four seven. Like people don't realize coaching is like being a. You're on twenty four seven. As an assistant, you're on, but you're not on. Like if a kid gets in trouble at four in the morning or two in the morning as an assistant, you, you, you may not be on. If, if something goes wrong at home and a kid has to get home as an assistant, you get called by the head coach normally. But as a head coach, you're on as like you're a parent. It's no different than when your kids get sick. You're on. You're, you're on all the time. There's no, there's no like, hey, I get this 20 minutes. I get to just escape. You don't get to escape. And that's where I'd say – I wasn't, I, I didn't know what to expect on that part of it. Like my boss, Joe Dooley at the time, he's like, basketball wise, you're ready. You, you know what you're doing. He goes, it's just different when you become your own boss, you got, you get the final say. And that's the thing that you, you know, as assistant, you're like, Hey, we need to do this. And you sit in that chair and if it doesn't go right, you're like, Hey, it was not an L for me or it's not a win for me. It's, it's on coach. You know what I mean? But, you know, when you're when you get your own seat. So I can't say I was ready and I can't say I wasn't ready, but I, I got lucky and got a great opportunity. I mean, it, that job was like not many people get a starter program from scratch at any level. And my first day on the job, they introduced me and then we're out shoveling dirt because they're they're getting ready to build an arena and I'm that's that was my deal like I was able to take part in that and that part was so awesome it's like starting it's like what you guys are doing here starting a, a business here your guys's podcast is a business from ground zero and you see the lumps going through and you're trying to convince people of to listen to you and get you money and do this and that and and you get told no a lot and you figure out how to go about and do different things and make it work. And it was just so much fun. I got lucky because the AD there was um, best friends with the baseball coach at Florida golf coast. And halfway through the year, he's like, Hey, do you think Marty would be interested in the, in the head job over here? And I'm like, and he kept asking me the baseball coach. I'm like, I don't know. And I'm like, let me ask coach Dooley. Coach is like, Marty, it's not bad. You know, he goes, I'm going to be here for more years. I know you want to get a head job. You need to get head coaching experience. You just need to see if you want to be a head coach. Sometimes guys get head coaching jobs and they don't ever want to be a head coach again because you are on all the time. Like they realize, man, all that, that's, it's overrated. Some people. Now I do. I want to be a head coach again. I loved it. It was awesome. It was the best experience I like I did it for three years. I'm like, I, I want to do this. I should have did this earlier in my life. Um, <laughs> that part is I loved it. And you, I, I got lucky. I mean, he, he had 350 guys apply for the job wow. and 
And it wasn't guys that would be like a bunch of rum dums. It was guys that won national titles at the junior college level. It it, it was it was a couple. Um, one was a Big Ten former Big Ten all Big Ten coach. One was a former ACC coach that were in his final say that were really good. And I just got lucky because I was tight with the baseball coach. And it was – we go back to the connection. It was that. And I knew my my current boss. I knew him well, but I didn't know him great. But the baseball coach was like, he's terrific. That's who you want to run your program. And I got lucky and he hired me. And I got lucky because the first couple kids I signed ended up being terrific players. The, the Murphy twins told me yes. And um, Tyler Cheese – I talked about earlier in the program told me yes and once I got the Murphy twins Shanquan was a throw-in like tank was a throw-in like people don't realize like I didn't get a C tank he wasn't a throw I should say this much he wasn't a throw-in he was a guy that I didn't know anything about in the region and Anthony and Tramel's like coach you got to take him he's really good and then when I researched I'm like yeah he's a no-brainer so I'm like yeah tell him I'll take him and I had to recruit him but like I had to recruit his mom really hard. She was she was like, well, are they going to play – is he going to play the same position as the Murphy Twins? Is he going to be – I'm like, no, he's going to play right next to him. He, one's going to start at the two, one's going to start at the three, one's going to start at the four, and they're all interchangeable. So one's going to be the four one night, one's going to be the two. So I just played them all together. And then Nick Smith was my point guard my first year, and he's a Division one transfer from Fordham. And I had to beat out some really good programs for him. I had to beat out Coffeyville. I had to beat out Odessa. I had to beat out one more power program. And his uncle was tied to a kid that I recruited at Florida Gulf Coast, Demetrius Morant, and he helped me with them. And he, he was most interesting. He got off the airplane. He did not want to come for a visit, guys. He did not want to come to Fort Myers. Oh. He's like, he was going to go to Odessa. That's where he was going to go where Larry Johnson played because it was a known program. And I'm selling – you guys know how it is. I'm selling. I didn't have a gym. I'm selling pavement. That's what I'm selling. I was selling pavement to these kids. And they had to either believe me or not. And I kept, my line was, do you want to be a trailblazer? And that's what it was to them. Like, I was like, you guys would be the first ever. You'll be the first ever to go in that locker room. You'll be the first ever to wear whatever jersey you want to wear. You're going to be the first ever. And everybody's going to remember that team. And when I picked Nick Smith up from the airport, I drove, I picked him up and I said, hey, I know you don't really want to be here. Your uncle's kind of making you come on the visit. I understand that. I said, we could do it one of two ways. It's going to go one of two ways. I'm going to circle around the airport. And Fort Myers Airport is like, you guys know how Des Moines Airport is. You add like six blocks. It's like a six block kind of before you can get back to the front of it. I said, I'm going to just drive and we're going to circle around. I'm going to give you an option. I'm going to take you to, I'm going to, we're going to go right down to the beach. We're going to eat right on the beach. We're going to talk about what we have here and what the opportunity is. Or I could just circle back and drop you back off and put you on a flight, go back home and you can go to Odessa. And I'm all right with that, but I don't want to waste my whole week, my whole next 36 hours of recruiting you. And you all of a sudden just want to go to Odessa. I said, I'm all right with that. He's like, nah, let's, let's do it. Let's go to the beach and eat. I'm like, okay. And as soon as he said that, I'm like, I'm going to get him now. Because <laughs> he's driving, we're seeing palm trees. You can kind of see some ponds. He's like, yeah, let's go to the beach. I'm like, all right, we're going. And then he said yes, and it, it, that got my program. Those guys, 
you know, I had other really good players that said they're coming. Um, but they started, those guys started it and it, it was really special. That That's great. No, that's, uh, and, and like you said, I mean, just the, the, just the connections to be able to get the job. And then obviously your, your unique ability to be able to, um, convince these guys to come and, and, and play and go to war with you was, was something else. But, uh, again, go sticking with the theme of talent, obviously talent, talented guys, um, with the twins and then ultimately DJ Wilkins. And now all of a sudden you leave the palm trees and you come back to, to cold Iowa. How did that, how did the transition go with, uh, with you leaving sunny Florida to come back and, and take a position here at Drake? You know what? I came at, I, I, <laughs> we do it to everybody in Iowa. I came in with 65 degrees in the middle of, no, 75 uh, uh, Drake Relays weekend. Okay. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, I was great. <laughs> I forgot how cold it was here. Yeah. Like, I, like, I got fooled. I got fooled myself. And, you know, it was – I've known Coach DeBreeze for a long time. The toughest part of coming back really was I had a group of kids that I told I was going to coach that were coming back that were all going to be sophomores. There was five of them. And, and ones that um, both are really good players. One ended up being at um, Wyoming. And one went to um, um, LSU also, but he ended up transferring to Coastal Carolina. And – um, it was tough telling them no when I was coming here. That, it, that's the toughest. That was really the toughest part because those guys, hey man, they they, they invested in me when I, I we didn't we went twenty six and seven, but they still when they came on their visits, we still didn't have a gym either. Like it was one of those deals. Like we didn't get our gym until middle of November. So when I brought them on and they worked out for me, they were working out in a high school gym, two different high school gyms. So that part was the most difficult part of coming back. If that makes any sense of telling those kids I had, a, I was leaving to come here. Now I, I, I got, I fell into a great spot. Coach DeBreeze was terrific. The, the kids that came with me, they're terrific. The three kids are terrific kids. And then Shanquan coming this year, all really good kids. Um, so it made the transition easier for me and it probably made it easier for them. I think your analogy of the head coach becoming a parent and how maybe we think we're ready for being a parent and then we're not. And then, like you said, the always yeah. on, the always on was, is a great comparison. The first time I had heard that and that I spot on with that, but I think also with that, like you mentioned, obviously being an assistant coach, um, jumping around quite a bit, it's part of the business. It's kind of the nature of it. You kind of get used mm -hmm. to it. But then when you slide in that chair and the responsibilities and the, everything's a little bit different than leaving, I'm sure, and you can attest to this, leaving as an assistant coach was a lot easier than, like you said, leaving as a head coach. It's, a, it, it's way different. You know what I mean? Like when I, I mean, the advantage of me when I left from Gulf Coast to go over to FSW, I didn't leave town. So some of the kids I personally recruited, still I could go see. Right. And I still went to practice and everything. So that part was not as difficult, but you're right. Like when you leave as an assistant compared to as a head coach, those, it's not just the kid, it's their parents. It's their people that you got to call and, and let them know the move. And they trusted you, you know what I mean? Like, and that's the toughest part. They trusted you with their, their, their kids. 
and to make sure they're doing right and making sure they're they're going in the right direction and that was really the toughest part about it and then telling the people that helped you get the job there that you're leaving to make sure that they understand that you're not just leaving just to leave that you're leaving because it's a great opportunity it's a great opportunity not just for you know the basketball side but the family side of it too because I came back and my older sister lives three minutes from my house and that part of it my parents come to a lot of our games and it, it gave me that opportunity my parents are in their 70s so it's it's nice to get to see them more often than when I was at, at down in Fort Myers it's, it's not easy to get to when you're a Midwest kid and it's tough that part so it, you're it right takes, about it, that Brian it, it takes a village too we know that as far as when raising these kids it so does it's it's certainly yeah, nice to you have can try to raise it you, on four, but that two on four does not work well. The other team scores a lot more points. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I get it, but um, we're gonna we're gonna have to do a part two eventually. But because we're gonna hardly even get into Drake, but I want to know a little bit. What my my biggest question for you, as far as Drake and your experience with Drake, is is how is it and what is it about Coach DeVries that you guys have been able to to the the talking heads? I don't know if we get looped, looped into this category or not, but you guys always seem to overachieve. Um, with the teams that you've had in your short time here in Des Moines? You know what? Like our first group that ended up winning a conference championship, we, we put it – it was really unique. We had 11% scoring coming back. And that 11% was Nick McGlynn. Like we had one guy coming back that played. We were able to put a group of guys together that meshed well. But the reason they meshed well, they were all unselfish. Like, Nick Norton is an unselfish – I know he scored, but he's an unselfish kid. Brady Ellington is an unselfish kid. Like, they are not a me type of person. The twins are not me type of people. Um, DJ was the person. Garrett, even though he scored 30 years, because he scored so much. Not because he is – he's not. He was, a, he was not a me person. Like, he is a we, and that's what – we've been able to do here at Drake is we've been able to find a bunch of people that are we people that are more about the team than about themselves. And that's tough to find in today's generation. And we've done a good job of evaluating kids and putting our, all our eggs in those baskets that are that type of kids and they've come and it's really helped us. That's that, that's would be my best synopsis of coach right there is that we've got a bunch of guys that are not about you could tell if they were about the front of their jersey or the back of their jersey and they they're about their front of their jersey 95 percent of the time every kid has a flaws of five percent we, we all go through that but like that's the reason i think we've overachieved because we have that and we've had good talent here but like that's we we've done a good job as a group putting that group together of really emphasizing what is on the front, not on the back. Kind of goes back to when you you know, you were talking about South Dakota, where, you know, you're the head coach you work for there, finding those guys that were the guys that mm -hmm. would fit in on the team. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, as Brian said, obviously you guys have done a great job. Um, it's fun to watch. I know, I know I love coming to games. My son absolutely loves coming to games. They do a great job there of the atmosphere and stuff like that. So it's been, it's been fun to watch and fun to, um, you know, have some success back, back here in Des Moines for sure. 
I know this much. I love. I I hope we get fans back this year because I this is a team that a lot of people would enjoy watching. I know our first two years, everybody came out and watched. We had really good teams. I think this team is really fun. They're they're gritty. They're hard nosed. They're tough. They they represent. You know they 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 represent who we are as Iowans. And I know they're not all Iowans, but they represent us as Iowans. I, us as Iowans, we're, we're hard nosed. We bring our lunch pail and our hard hat to work every day. And that's kind of who we are as people. And that's what makes us special as people in here in Iowa. And that's what makes Iowa a special place. And our team embodies that. And I think, too, I mean, just the whole hometown team, like the Des Moines thing, I think even a closer mm-hmm. representation, I mean, it's a great representation. Again, those kids aren't all from Des Moines, but it, it, they do. They represent the city very well, and they've kind of yeah. embraced that role where, you know, I, I've been here over 10 years now down here in the Des Moines area, and it hasn't always been that, um, you know, both from the community and from the team. I mean, you guys are just interlocked, which I think just helps. I mean, it just creates that environment. Um, selling beer probably helps too, but uh, the nap yeah, center, the, the mean, nap center is great. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I won't lie to you. That that right there, people don't realize. It's not like you're coming to get. You're coming to have one or two, just like you would be sitting on your couch on a Wednesday night watching Duke play NC State. You're going to have one or two sitting there watching the game. That's what fans just want. They just want one or two while watching a basketball game. It's the entertainment. And it's it's great. It's a I, that was a that was a plus for our athletic department getting that taken care of and our institution implementing that. And that that's really good. It's it's brought more fans. It brought younger fans into the into the arena, which is tough because not every young fan goes to games. They don't appreciate it as much as what the older fans do. A lot of times, I feel definitely. Uh... Um, increases the the environment there for sure, in my opinion, too. But, uh, well, Coach, we like to uh, end the podcast with a little section we like to call Rapid Fire, where Brian's going to hit you with a couple questions. Okay, let's About go. basketball, some maybe not about basketball, um, and just have a little fun here. All right, Coach, you've, uh, you've been a lot of places. We've mentioned a few, but what's your favorite visiting? So we all love our home gym. So what's your favorite visiting gym or arena that you've had an opportunity to coach in? Cameron. Yeah. yeah, that's that's probably an easy one. Uh, road trip snack? Is there something that you have uh, out on the road no, trip? No, no, to... well, no, 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 well, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold. Cameron is the favorite division one, but my favorite division, uh, favorite small, is Loris College. Loris old College, arena. okay. Old, they, they old got Loris. Old gym yeah. there that the, the fan Loris. They got, Old Loris, not that new nice gym they have now, but the old Loris. They would be over the track and the fans would be yelling down at you. That was actually my favorite. That, that was really good environment. We've had somebody mention that before, haven't we? You could have 50 fans in there felt like it was 5,000. Yeah, it, that, that was fun. That one, uh, that gym was a lot of fun. It, it, it's almost too bad uh, to see some of those goals. I've said the same thing about Nice Gymnasium, too. I'm like, God, if they could have just built everything around yes. the gym, then it would have been so much mm-hmm. better. So Yes. Well, well, good. Well, and there's a reason, too, why a place like Cameron and Allen Field, like these places come up because they're old, they're historic, they're they all that stuff that comes with it. You know, you can build a fancy gym, but you, you can't put tradition in it. So, Mm-mm. but uh, um, yeah, so sorry, you cut out. So I, I didn't want to cut you off. But uh, so second one, what's your I, what's your road trip snack? Do you have anything you got to take with you out recruiting or out on these road trips or anything? Uh, some chocolate of some sort. 
chocolate. Okay. If it's a Snickers, if it's a Twix, it's some sort of chocolate. I like chocolate for road That's trips. Um, where does Larry Bird rank uh, in your all-time list? Oh, we had this discussion the other day as, as, as a team. Um, I, I think he's top 10 no matter what, what anybody says. And I got called a lot of different names by some of the players when I didn't put Kobe or LeBron second. <laughs> I put Kareem second. And I said, Kobe and LeBron may not be as good as Bird and Magic <laughs> just to start a fight with the guys. I think Larry Bird's terrific. I think he's – I think he's – seven probably in that range that's good no i would i would agree with you i think yeah. we're i think we're right online so um you, you mentioned a little bit throughout but is there one piece of advice for for a young coach listening that you would give uh just just getting into the business take notes write down your notes either on your phone in today's time putting your notes on your phone every day something that you might have seen heard listen to I, I used to carry a notebook around my yellow pad and i still do if you come to the office i have yellow pads everywhere and that's where i write my notes i take notes that's why i learned 20 years ago and i think it's really helped me and that'd be my advice for young coaches perfect um you have a favorite basketball shoe uh the kobe nice that's okay. it. I, that's we talked about a lot on the pod that's a good one um better basketball movie blue chips or coach carter oh that's a tough one that's a tough one uh <laughs> i love them both i like <laughs> you know what i'm gonna say blue chips because i just watched it when we were on the road trip at um kansas state it was on tv so <laughs> i watched it i'm going with blue chips because that's more in my mind right now that's a great one coach dockage makes a makes a sneak peek in that one if you guys watch it closely. Oh, really? Okay. Interesting. I had to, to watch it again. Yeah. Um, if you could uh, require your players to only do one skill only um, for the next week, which one? what are you going to have them focus on? One skill only for the next week. What are they going to do? Uh, dribble with their left hand. Okay. That's Gotta see, do that. And that's for, I mean, we're talking major division one basketball here. Dribble with your yeah. left hand. So what do you think? That dribble these, with your uh, left hand. What do you think these uh, fifth grade programs should be doing? <laughs> yeah, you know what? Like I'm doing it right now and you guys are going to laugh. I do it every day with our freshmen and some of our walk-ons every day. I make them get the ball in their left hand and we go three dribbles forward and slide back three dribbles on your back foot. And they didn't know how to slide back. And, like they didn't know how to dribble into a trap and then dribble out of a trap and then fake crossover or in and out it and go back with the left hand and just work their left. They couldn't dribble with their left. So now for like the last month, I've done that every day with them and they're improving, but kids just can't. I mean, I just think their weekend is so weak. That's good. No, that's great. I love that. Um, well, who's got the best pizza in the Metro area here? Ooh. Uh, oh, uh, New York and, um, it's right there right next to my house. What's the name of it? I think it's New York and Company. Slice, slice uh, of New York or Taste of New York. Taste of New York. That's yep. terrific. Yep, that is good pizza. That's good That's call, really man. good pizza. Yep. Um, 
All right, Coach, last one. We've taken a lot of your time, and um, we really appreciate it. But uh, what's, what's the best thing about being uh, on the coaching staff for the, for the Drake Bulldogs? Um, the ability to say what you want and not get judged. And that's, you can't do that everywhere. Like the guys I work with and my boss, they don't – you can say stuff – and they're, they're very open-minded, the group is. But a lot of times you're on staff and you can't say stuff and, and to, for the betterment of the team or the worst of the team, and people will look at you different and, and judge you. And this group doesn't do that. And that's, that's why I think we've been successful. We've had a good group of guys that way. Uh, yeah, I love that. And I 100% agree. And I think you can tell even from, you know, a fan's perspective, or, or maybe just because I pay attention to the coaches more than everybody else. But uh, when you have a staff in which that everyone's involved and feels like they have their their roles and, and assistants are empowered, it, it leads to success as opposed to just a bunch of yes men that sit on their hands and can't and are afraid to say anything. You know, I think we can all say and point out a few teams that we've seen like that. And it, it, it just makes a huge difference. And um, the success of the team is ultimately um, greater with when more involved. So, well, coach, Hey, we, we appreciate it. We really do love all the nuggets, the stories. Like I said, we're going to have to, after you guys continue on the run that you guys are on right now, we'll probably get you back on and talk more specifics about the season and the team uh, uh, here at Drake this year. But uh, thanks again. And, and we really enjoyed having you on. Hey, thanks so much, guys. I really appreciate your guys' time. I'm sorry my stories, they can go long. I apologize. <laughs> well, that's what we're on here. So everything's good with us. But, uh, you know, like Brian said, yeah, we appreciate all of your time. Appreciate you taking it for us. And it was great to connect with you again. And we're looking forward to uh, continuing uh, to watch and you'll pay attention to the Bulldogs this year. Um, and to our listeners, as usual, you know, if you like what you hear, we would really appreciate a five-star rating wherever you catch your podcast. Uh, you can find us on all social channels on Facebook, the Shooters Touch, Twitter and Instagram at Shooters Touch IA and our brand new website, the Shooters Touch podcast.com. As usual, Shooters Shoot.